Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Buddhang dhammang sankhang namasami So I'd like to begin by just um, sadhuing, commending everyone here for taking the time out of your you know, your lives to come and give yourself this time of retreat. Uh, it takes a certain wisdom and a certain kindness to do that, or sometimes a certain desperation <laughs> <laughs> to do that. So... It's great that you uh, made it here and uh, that you give yourself this time of of settling and deepening and opening. And it's not always an easy process to do that. And anyone, I think, and pretty much everybody, almost everybody here has been on retreat before, so you know that already. It's not always an easy process. You know, you come. We can forget in between retreats (laughs) how challenging they can be while you're in the middle of them and you you get to the end and you really feel the fruits and it's like, oh, that's great, I want to go back. And then you go back on retreat and often the first three days is is pretty challenging. A lot of stuff comes up and uh, there's a a huge change of gear from uh, your life that you've just come to, to this uh, very contained and quiet and not much going on uh, experience. So it's commendable to go on retreat once and and to even more so to go on retreat numerous times. And it does take a certain wisdom that knows this is good medicine and it's worth uh, staying through the, the challenges. And just uh, we just had our first couple of uh, practice interview groups today, and it just uh, it strikes me that you know people are in, in very different places in in, the, in their practice. So there's people who are, who are really new to the practice, and people who've been practicing a long time, and and those in between. And uh, so I just want to speak a little bit about. How, like, how we apply ourselves in, in the practice. So it can be, I think when we first start, for many people at the beginning of the practice, it can be really inspiring. It's, it's, it's so uh, uplifting and inspiring to find in this world that's, that's so much oriented around materialism, consumerism and, and being a person, that there's this teaching, this, this teaching of, of emptiness and of change and of uh, transformation from you know, who I am when I begin to the potential of being a fully awakened being and that that's, that potential is there for all of us. And that can be so hugely inspiring. It does still inspire me daily. And in the beginning, it can bring a lot of energy, a lot of delight and uh, 
a, a strong um, commitment really and, and energy for the practice. So, you know, when we're, when we're in that place where it's, it's early days and we're, we're just kind of discovering the practice and, and the possibilities and we're applying the practice and getting the results often quite quickly, it's often like that in the beginning, that you really feel the results of the practice and it's like, wow, this is fantastic. And it is fantastic. So <laughs> it is wonderful. And so at that time when we're beginning, it's, it's really good to throw yourself in, just like throw yourself in fully into the practice. And even a little recklessly, it's, it's good. And I was, I was grateful to have uh, nuns around me when I, so, you know, sort of quite soon after I started practicing. Oh, it's very distracting, sorry for me. Um, maybe do you want to sit by the window? Who would encourage me to, to go past my limits. <laughs> you know, they would encourage me to do things that I wouldn't consider doing. And uh, like, you know, just things that would challenge my, my perception of what I could do and what I, what I want, what I am and who I am and what I can do and what I can't do. And so then I would try, you know, okay, Sister So-and-so is suggesting it and she's keeping an eye on me, so all right, I'll have a go, you know. And it was quite insightful and um, it kind of opened things up. And there, there's a time when, you know, when we can kind of get into a, a um, kind of a flow of, of energy that is just really... A, what, you just want to completely apply yourself to the practice and, and keep an edge, keep that edge of not having quite enough sleep and eating just a bit less than you really need and, and practicing that extra half hour, hour, you know, whatever. So there's a time for that and that's, that can be a very potent time. Um, so if you're in that place, it's, good, it's really good to explore and it's also important not to... Uh, force, so it's not about forcing, but it's about knowing where the edge is and just going a little bit further and seeing what happens. And then there's a time when, you know, we've been practicing for a while where things are a little bit more kind of settling down and we don't get such quick results to our practice anymore. And... uh, it can seem a little bit like, oh, you know, maybe there's something wrong because I used to get all of those insights and now, you know, it's kind of a bit of a plateau. But that's a, that's a natural part of the practice. It's, it's, that's, it's meant to be like that. Because in the beginning, we're making huge leaps and bounds because it's new. And then after a while, it, it's not so new anymore. And uh, the, the breakthroughs that were kind of just on the surface waiting for us to to uh, realize have happened already. And then, you know, maybe the deeper insights are still a little obscure. And so we can be in that kind of in-between state. So it's, you know, that's also an important time in our practice. So not to, not to give up at that time. We might sort of give up thinking, I'm not, I'm not getting the results I think I should be getting. But actually, this is the time to be cultivating patience. The Buddha highly exalted patience. 
as a practice, the supreme practice of patience. So that's the time to be cultivating practice, uh, patience, and also to, you know, maybe to to get a little bit more subtle with our with what we're seeing, with our expectations. Uh, so we're we're kind of honing down our attention a little bit more to the little things, the little changes, and uh, and it might just be a period of endurance. I, I certainly had some time where it was just kind of faith, really, that was keeping me going. It's just like, all right, you know, I, I trust that the Buddha knows what he's talking about, and um, I'm not uh, really interested in going off in a different direction, and there's not an awful lot happening. You know, this is like a couple of years, so I'll just keep going. And... Uh, you know, the meditation over that time was not very fulfilling. There were not many insights. Uh, the the predominant feeling I was experiencing was not blissful or joyful. It was quite kind of... It wasn't painful either. It was just sort of like humdrum. And then there would be sometimes doubt. Oh, maybe I've made a mistake. You know, maybe I've done something wrong. But it's kind of too late now because I'm in this. And, and, and then there's like remembering, okay, well, what's good in what's happening now? Okay, there's living an ethical life, keeping good ethics. This is really, really important. And, okay, that's good. That's better than what I was doing before I started practicing. That's good. And, um, you know, um, uh, keeping a certain level of discipline, I'm not a highly disciplined person by nature, which is why I entered a monastery, <laughs> because it gave an external discipline, which was really helpful. And so, um, so okay, keeping a certain discipline, that's good, you know. And, and even though maybe not, not experiencing a lot of fruits of the meditation, still putting the time in, you know, still, still sitting, watching the breath, getting to know my, what's going on in my heart. And uh, and then learning to receive feedback from others. This is also one of the benefits of living in community, that you get to hear or how you are or see yourself from other people's perspectives. And sometimes it's a little disconcerting. Um, so then learning to to receive feedback and like, you know, okay, maybe I need to work on that. You know, a bit more, and so there'll be the, those kind of things would be going on, even if the actual experience of the meditation practice was not that great for a while. Um, and then there can be, you know, then we keep going, and then things things shift and change. So then, the, the at some point, the 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 joy returned, and the, a certain subtlety could come back. And then it's, you know, it's gone through many different landscapes. So it's not, it's not that it just arrives in one place and stays like that. And then that in itself becomes a teaching that it's okay. You know, we're on, this is a spiritual journey and it goes through many landscapes. And not to give up, not to give up and turn back or not to give up and just sink down into a swamp or not bother to climb that mountain that's, that's ahead. But it's a journey. We keep going. We keep taking another step. 
And then there's um, the the time when we need to really um, assess what is happening here in our life and in our practice and and look really um, carefully and and sometimes we just need to make a subtle change and sometimes when it's it's when our life seems to be most challenging most difficult you know when there's sometimes the things can build up so huge that we feel like oh my goodness you know I can't possibly face this it's just too much uh, how am I, what am I going to do now? I don't know. And sometimes those, my experience, those big times, those kind of like overwhelming times or experiences, what they need is just a little shift of mind, ironically. Just a little shift of mind from, from, oh my goodness, it's all too much, I've got to keep it away or I've got to just dive in there and lose, you know, and let it kind of, um, consume me to just be a little bit more connected to the breath just letting the belly relax a little bit more and soften subtle things just having a little bit more kindness towards myself a little bit of interest rather than trepidation as to what's going on and these just slight shifts of attention have huge you know they, they make they're like night and day and it doesn't it's not a rational thing it's not something that we would it's, it's counterintuitive so you know it seems like when something's really big we, we've got to do something really big to deal with it but sometimes it's just very subtle shifts that help the whole thing to change. So, uh, you know, we're, we're experiencing this life all the time through our conditioning and our perceptions and uh, our fears and desires, hopes, regrets, all of that. And if we just keep playing this, you know, if we could just keep looking through the same lenses, then we keep seeing in the same way. So it's about just changing the lens a little bit, or maybe peeking underneath the lens if we can, and and seeing our experience just just meeting it in the moment, rather than this huge thing in my life that's oh my goodness, how am I going to deal with it? It's like, well, right now, what is that experience? And, and this, this retreat situation is, is a wonderful support for this because we're, we've all taken ourselves out of our ordinary life situations to here. So, you know, life's going on out there and it's going on in here too. And so it's like... We, can, we meet our life situation right here in this environment, in this safe place where there's nothing much happening other than a lot of holding, a lot of loving, a lot of support. And then, you know, there's what we brought with us. So we can, we can meet that right here without having to have it all sorted out for when we get home. But 
just now, how it is in, in this body right now, like this, in my belly right now, in my heart right now, not so much in the mind. Mind tells all kinds of stories, but more dropping down from the thinking into the body and allowing the body to be met, like listening to the body, meeting the, the tensions and the stresses of the body and softening around them, like taking a breath. It's amazing. Taking a breath is kind of miraculous. It can be in the, in the most intense situation and then you just take a deep breath. Everything stops. It all stops for a moment. And there's a, there's a different perspective. And then there's a choice because we've given a little bit of space. So, uh, so there's times when that's uh, the appropriate way to meet our, our practice. And we have to discern for ourselves. You know, there's nobody who can tell you, okay, now you should do it like this. Now you should totally throw yourself in and really just push yourself to the edge. And, and, but now it's time to be really subtle. You have to know that. That's your, your wisdom has to know that. And we all have that wisdom if we listen. The wisdom is there, and, and the 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 um, you know what what do we need to do changes, and we only know what to do by giving the space to to look and listen inwardly. So this is a, a great opportunity for that. And then I also want to to mention the. The five hindrances, I usually speak about them <laughs> because I think they're, they're really, really important to know about because we tend to identify with these and, and believe in them. So this, uh, this title of the retreat about uh, taking refuge in what is true, we often take refuge in what is not true and uh, the, each of those five hindrances is not telling us the truth. So the, the first being a sensual desire, being, having the mind pulled out into sensuality. And that's uh, the story of, if I just have this nice thing, this delicious thing, this beautiful thing, this comfortable situation, or whatever it might be, then I will be whole and everything will be well. That's the, the story of sense desire. And... Uh, there may be people here who know how that goes. You know, it goes, it's like, first of all, it just says it kind of seems harmless enough. You, know? you just have that little something and it's nice and you do feel good. And then maybe that little something, you feel like, oh, I need it again. Oh, I need it again. Well, I'll be fine as long as I have that every day, twice a day, three times a day, five times a day. <gasps> I need it. You know, so... That's what, that's what happens with sense desire. It's, it never actually satisfies us longer than uh, the shortest of times. And because it gives that little satisfaction, we think it's really doing the job, but it isn't. It's, it's keeping us more and more caught. It's like uh, drinking salt water. We're thirsty and we never drink of salt water. And, oh, thank goodness. You know, ooh, it tastes a bit not quite great, but thank goodness. You know, but then it just makes you more thirsty and more thirsty until it wears you out completely. So that is the, the, 
the, the truth really of, of sense desire. And it's the first hindrance and it's one that we all know very well and probably experience numerous times a day. Can, it can, it can uh, latch on to any of the six senses including mind, any of the senses. So knowing sense desire as sense desire and uh, if we can, letting go. If we can't and we can't help following it, then follow it all the way through. Follow it through the, you know, the wanting, the getting, the becoming one with, the, the gratification, how that, that's there for a while, then it falls away, and then there's the sense of lack again and then the reaching out to something else. So seeing that whole process, and then maybe the, uh, it's often the, there's also adverse effects on our own body and mind when we repeatedly follow sense desire. So just getting to know it, getting to know its trickery. And also having patience, you know, it's not like it, the intellect can know it and then the, the emotions or the... the, the um, the karma, the wanting is 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 still is still buying into it, you know. So we can't the, the rational mind, clever though it is, it can't keep the uh, it doesn't rule us as well as we would like it to. It's the it's the it's like the the yearnings of the heart. So we need to to go deeper than just the rational. Rational can help. But it's the it's meeting the, the yearning that that actually transforms our addiction to sense desire, and then uh, ill will or aversion, which can be anger, resentment, hatred, irritability, impatience. All of those come under the category of of uh, ill will. And this is something we can also take refuge in, oddly enough. You know, I'm sure everybody knows people who, who, who you know, defend themselves behind an aversive personality. And uh, so there's, you know, there's having an aversive personality and, and knowing it and working with it. And there's having an aversive personality and believing in it. And using it as a defense and as a, as a means to remain right and separate and controlled and safe. It feels like safe, but it isn't. So we can take refuge in, in, uh, in the hindrance of ill will. And this is, of course, you know, surely a wrong, ref- wrong refuge. So with ill will, getting to know the feeling, where it resides in us, who we put it onto, the cause or what, the cause of our ill will. It's not, my, it's not me, it's, it's them, it's that. It's because of those things out there that I'm feeling this. So it seems like that, but really it's, it's arising in, that, in the heart, in one's own heart and mind. So that's the only place that we can transform it. We can, we can try and change other people. <laughs> And if, if they're willing, they might change a bit. But uh, it probably won't be enough, you know, to sort it out in our own heart, because our own heart is generating that ill will. 
and in this world, you know, this imperfect world, there will always be something wrong. There will always be something to complain about. There will always be something unsatisfactory. It's made like that. So if we're always looking outside of ourselves for the, for the cause of the ill will in our own hearts, we'll always find something to blame it on and we'll never experience the freedom of uh, having a heart that is free from ill will. So most of us, you know, we experience it sometimes and then sometimes we don't and that's nice. Some experience it more than others. Um, so, so getting to know when, when the hindrance of ill will has arisen, getting to know that that's what it is, it's, it's a hindrance to enlightenment. And we don't have to annihilate it, we don't have to have more ill will, you know, judging the ill will and getting into layers and layers of one ill will over another, we don't have to do that. We just need to know it. This is aversion. It feels like this, it's really unpleasant. It's really unpleasant and I, I don't want to feel it. And then we know that. And then maybe knowing that gives us a little bit more space where we can let it be there and, and be felt. And then maybe we can bring a little kindness to it, a little metta to the ill will. And then it starts to feel relieved. So... N- you know, if we don't know it as a hindrance, we, we believe it. We either believe it's who we are, what we are, or we believe it's what other people are, the cause of. And so we're taking wrong refuge. And then the, the next hindrance is uh, sleepiness and dullness, or sloth and torpor. It's, uh, I've been experiencing quite a lot of that today myself. <laughs> And uh, that can also be something that's like in this sort of changing of gear that we're doing here from our lives before to this, and also being all together in a, in a, in a group like this. It can be uh, that the, the, everything kind of wants to shut down. It's all kind of a bit too much. And so then knowing that, you know, so for myself today, struggling in the meditation to dullness and no, there's there's a there's a, you know there's a lot of dullness and, and a lot of unconsciousness, and there's also a knowing that this is what's going on now, and why, and uh, and that it it will change, and also that, that I need to put in a little bit more energy. So that's different to, oh no, I'm just such a hopeless meditator, you know, and oh how embarrassing! All these people are seeing me nodding, you know. <laughs> That's, that's selfing, and that doesn't uh, free us, that just gets us more entrenched. But it's more like, okay, sleepiness, dullness, the body is heavy and dull, and the mind is sleepy, the, eye, the eyes are sleepy. And then, you know, there's things we can do, stand up, open our eyes, take some deep breaths. And uh, maybe also the thing to do on the beginning of retreat is to take a rest, the first day or two is often helpful. Take a nap, if I may say that. And then be more refreshed. But don't keep doing it through the retreat. That's buying into the hindrance again. And then the hindrance of restlessness, which uh, we all experience in different ways. 
and the mind being restless, uh, coming up with lots of thoughts, ideas and opinions, and, or the body being agitated, restless. So knowing restlessness, it's very believable, you know, we feel like we've got to move from it. When, it's, when, when there's restlessness, we feel like we've got to do something, got to do something. So we, all we need to do is know, in this context, is know this is restlessness and agitation. So worry and anxiety also comes along with restlessness. They, they kind of come together. It's like a little bit too much energy that's not grounded. The opposite to sleepiness and dullness, too much energy that's too grounded. Restlessness too, like, you know. And then they start worrying, getting agitated. And so knowing that as, as restlessness, the hindrance of restlessness and agitation, not me, not mine, not personal, not personality, but a hindrance that is arising at, the, at that moment. And then we can use things like um, being particularly aware of the out-breath, letting go on the out-breath. That can really help to ease the restlessness. And also focusing more strongly on the, on the breath, sometimes that can help to just pull ourselves out of the, of the restlessness. But we have to experiment ourselves and see what works. And just, or sometimes just bringing the intention of calming this body, calming this mind, calming the bodily formation, calming the mental formations. Sometimes just that intention or those words can help to just like ground a little bit. But most important is the, is the mindfulness and the understanding that this is a hindrance, not who and what I am. It's this changing. And then the, the hindrance of doubt. So it's, uh, you know, when, whenever I say, you know, you have to use your own wisdom to know what to do, I'm sure lots of people will be going, but what am I supposed to do? Should I do this? Should I do that? Am I at the beginning of my practice? Am I in the middle? Am I, where do I do? You know, and then, so then that happens, we do that. I, I always want, I used to really want somebody to just tell me what to do, you know, tell me. And it's like, well, no, you have to know, I have to know. We have to know for ourselves. So doubt will come in and it will keep us spinning for eternity if we let it. So once we find ourselves caught in doubt, should I do this or should I do that? Um, gosh, what, what should I be doing? I'm not sure then we recognize, oh, there's doubt. Hindrance of doubt is present in the mind. And uh, the way out of that endless loop of doubt, one of the tricks of doubt is that it, it, it kind of tells us, one of the, the lies, the stories, is it tells us that if you just stay with this long enough, you just keep thinking about it, you're going to get the answer. <laughs> just keep going around long enough, you're going to get it, you're going to get it. It's there somewhere. So that's, uh, that's the, the story that the, uh, the lie of doubt. Whereas um, the Buddha recommends us to, to use our discernment. So, you know, what is, the, what is the wholesome, what is the most wholesome thing to do? What is the most beneficial? What is beneficial, what is not beneficial? What is wholesome, what is unwholesome? And if you find, uh, you know, that can, can be very clear. Okay, that's unwholesome, I'm not going to do that. I'll just do this, you know, work with this, it's more wholesome. It might be that 
whichever way you go is going to be wholesome, so then you go into doubt again. But the thing is, if it's wholesome both ways, it doesn't actually matter which way you go. You just go, just choose one and do it and see what happens. And if it's not going the way you think it should be going, where you want to go after some time, try the other one. See what happens. Because there's not, it's not like there's some, you know, it's not like life is set out in some clear trajectory and we just have to know exactly, you know, what we do when. We have to, we have to it's, it's influenced by what we bring to it in the moment. Our life unfolds through what we bring to it in the moment. This is why knowing what is wholesome and what is unwholesome is really, really important. Because if we're kind of carelessly um, cultivating unwholesome qualities and justifying them in our minds, you know, (laughs) um, that's influencing how things will be for us in the next moment and the next and the next. And so we kind of get more and more entrenched. Whereas if we can recognize when we are uh, defending or justifying or judging or uh, you know desiring or complaining all of those things or getting you know getting caught going round and round in circles not sure what to do when when we when we recognize then we can we can choose to to do what is wholesome and sometimes what is you know sometimes we can drop what's going on and, and turn towards something that's uh, actually cultivate something that's more you know directly wholesome so there's ill will and we I remember one one of my first retreats I did in Amravati I had so much anger towards the person teaching the retreat I felt so angry because there was so little silence I just wanted silence I wanted to sit with other people in silence and there was almost no silence through the whole retreat everything was guided and it drove me crazy so I was really, I was getting more and more angry. And then at one point I realized like, well, this isn't going to change. And it's like a 10-day retreat. So, so I need to do something. And, and so with that energy of anger, I started to practice metta. And then the, the anger, the energy of anger started to turn into the energy of metta. And so by the end, I was totally blissed out on metta. I was feeling really, I loved the teacher, you know. <laughs> So, um, so sometimes it's like that where we actually turn the energy around and sometimes we can't do that and all we can do is, is bring mindfulness to what is going on. So we're, we're holding it within our mindful awareness and we're not acting on it. That's already very powerful. And sometimes we're so, you know, the habit is so strong that we can't help acting on it and then, and then we act on it and then we need to bring the discern, discernment, the, the um, the clarity and the honesty, really, to, 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 to acknowledge, okay, you know, I, I lost it there, or I, I, I'm, I'm going down that road again, and I know I'm doing it, and I kind of can't stop right now. And I know it's not going to have good results, and, I, and then maybe we can uh, acknowledge it to the, to the people we live with. Because when we do those, when we don't, when we're not able to hold those kilesas with mindfulness, then they spill out onto other people, and other people have to deal with them, the energy that we can't deal with. That's what happens. When we can't manage it, we, we generously give it to other people. <laughs> and then they have to deal with it in whatever way they're able to or not. So uh, once we start to kind of wake up to that and, and be aware of that, then 
then it's you know the humbling practice of of acknowledging it, and that can help us you know helps give us an incentive to to get on and start transforming the stuff that's here because we don't want to keep being in that position where we're we're dumping on people and then having to apologize all the time. It's just kind of humiliating a little bit. So, uh, so these are ways that we can gradually transform our, the, the habits of our hearts and minds and, uh, and guide them and, and um, yeah, transform them into the path, the path of awakening. So it's not about becoming a, a good person who's all nice all the time and, you know, sweetness and light. It's not about that. But it's about truth and about uh, aligning oneself with what is, what is wholesome, what is good. And sometimes truth is, is, is hard to hear, it's hard to receive, hard to know. It's not always nice, but it's, uh, but it's truth. So it's good, it's beautiful. So there are many ways that we can um, take refuge in what is not true. And if we don't have that simple map of, of the hindrances, we can so easily just get caught again and again in them and uh, take them to be who and what we are or take them to be the cause of something outside of ourselves or justify them. And so it's important to remember that they're, you know, it's like we're on a path, there's a direction we want to go in, and then there's a, there's a road going off to the right with flashing neon signs saying, come this way, come this way. You know? And then if we're not mindful and we don't know what's going on, we, we just get duped by it. We just go there. Oh, that looks interesting. Let's go down there and see where we get to. And then we get way off track into some place we never wanted to go to. So uh, to remember, you know, to keep in, in mind the, the bigger intention of our practice. And if you're not quite clear what it is, then take this time to get clear over these days. What is the, the greater intention of my practice? You know, am I just looking for a little bit of calm? Or is there something a little bit more profound, a bit deeper? That's, uh, that brought us here, that's drawing us to keep, keep turning towards what we find here. <laughs> so the path unfolds differently for every person, every individual. And who knows why and how and where it will take us but we just need to know what's going on here in our own, on our own path, where we are right now on this path of practice. That's all we need to know. We don't need to compare ourselves to others. We don't need to judge what's going on. We just need to know it and acknowledge it and, and take a step from here, or a leap sometimes from here. And wherever we are is, 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 is good. It's good and it's not the end. So there's not, uh, you know, if we, if we turn and look and feel like, oh my goodness, I'm just such a mess. After all these years, I'm just such a mess. You know, it can be like that. And then, well, sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. 
you know there's there's a there's a there's a, an ability there's a strength and an ability and an awareness that can turn towards that mess and without that we're just going to pretend that we're not a mess for the rest of our life you know as if we've got the the awareness we can turn towards it with with some kindness some understanding some listening and start to ch- turn it around if when we turn and we look here and we think wow i am so awesome i am the best in the world then you better ask a few more questions <laughs> go and spend a bit of time with your family and ask them what they think about you <laughs> and um, you know, don't stop there because if that's where you've come to it's not the end so we need to just keep on keep on looking really honestly and keep on meeting our experience honestly and not, not um, being harsh towards ourselves or uh, you know, beating down on ourselves but being, being interested and kind and encouraging whatever and it's not it's, so when we, when we turn mindfulness when we apply mindfulness or turn our mindfulness onto what's going on here and what we find is not very inspiring which sometimes it is like that we can we can get too involved in the in what we find and not enough not enough um, so we can get too involved in like the object of our mind and not enough in the the awareness itself so every time that the mindfulness arises and we turn and we see what's going on this is a wonderful moment this is an awakening moment and if we're awakening to what is beautiful and inspiring, that's wonderful. There's a lot of joy in that. And if we're awakening to what is kind of grungy and uninspiring, that is also wonderful because it gives us a chance to transform. And if we turn into what is kind of nothing in particular, that if we can turn towards that and stay with it, that's pretty inspiring. That's not easy. And it's a large part of our lives, so it's actually very important. So, um, so we have this time and these supportive conditions to, to turn towards our own body and mind, heart, and to learn to trust our own wisdom and exploration and to experiment a little bit with what we find what's the right thing to do don't just uh, do what you've always done you know, experiment a little bit be interested, curious creative and we will see uh, what transforms over these days so I'd like to offer that tonight
sorry, I'm not very good with that. So now we enter the chance. You need the mic, I think. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.